0: 1 Corinthians chapter seven. Today, we are going to continue studying 1 Corinthians and we are going to be spending our time in a passage that God intends to comfort us. God intends to comfort us in the midst of our circumstances. We're at an interesting point here in 1 Corinthians. If you've been with us now, uh, studying through this book with us, then the past couple of chapters have been interesting. We've dealt a lot with sexual immorality. And sexual immorality, not really for sexual immorality's sake, though, Something more like Corinthians adopting a, a, a way of living that is engaging in sexual, sexual immorality as a form of higher understanding that lets them express their spirituality. It's bizarre. This is a religious act, a spiritual act. And so the Corinthians are either engaging in sexual morality or giving approval to those engaging in sexual immorality as a form of religion. And then uh, last week, we see the pendulum swing way over here to the other side. And now uh, we see that, that the Corinthians are rejecting uh, sex. They're rejecting legitimate marriage even. They're, they're refusing to be licentious and they are doing this as an act of religion. They are seeking to be spiritual. In both of these circumstances, or both of these situations, we see circumstances that the Corinthians are concerned with. Circumstances that they either need to move past or present circumstances that they need to reject at the heart of what is going on with these Corinthians though are circumstances. Well, last week Rob helped us to see that that the marriage bed, that that singleness and marriage, all of these are legitimate venues for Christians to display Christ for the gospel to be lived out within the Christian's life. And so, to move beyond the circumstances of uh, sex, marriage, singleness, these sorts of things, to move beyond these is foolishness. Next week, Neil is going to help us pick up another situation uh, where the Corinthians express concern. And so, Paul's going to give instruction, yet again, in a similar vein as all of this. But before we get there, we have. Our passage, this little paragraph situated in the middle here of all of this crazy. And at first glance, it may seem like this passage is just out of place. It doesn't seem to flow with Paul's train of thought. What we're going to see in this passage is a sandwich of sorts. We have Two pieces of bread and then we've got the meat and the cheese in the middle or the peanut butter and jelly in the middle. On one side, on one piece of bread, we have this concern from the Corinthians and we have Paul's instruction. And on the other side, the other piece of bread, we have concern from the Corinthians and Paul's instruction. But in the middle, we have a theological rationale of theological meat and cheese for this instruction that is on both sides. Theological peanut butter and jelly is what we have today. The center of this sandwich that is really going to try to make sense of why Paul can say what he's going to say before this passage and after this passage. And so in all of this, we're going to see Paul put forward two Uh, uh, social circumstances and in doing so he's going to show us what we as Christians should be truly concerned about. What we should not be concerned about. And and he's going to shed insight on the circumstances of our lives. And so as uh, this morning we're going to be thinking about circumstances And, and we'll see two points as we go to 1 Corinthians 7. First, and, and we'll explain this, so hang with me. But first, your call is not the most important thing about you. Your call is not the most important thing about you. But then two, second point, your call is the most important thing about you. Your call is the most important thing about you. So just hang tight and we'll explain that. But we're going to see this from 1 Corinthians 7, verses 17 through 24. So if you have your Bibles, follow along with me as I read. only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain gain your freedom, avail yourself of that opportunity. For he who is called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together as a church and to worship you, and to do so by sitting under your word, submitting ourselves to you, asking you to form us and fashion us according to the Spirit's powerful working through the word. Lord, we pray that you would have your way amongst us here today, uh, glorifying your son Jesus and causing us to adore him, to be satisfied in him. That we pray that you would work mightily And worship would abound here as we go to you and your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, again, first thing we want to see from this passage is that your call is not the most important thing about you. And we're going to see that right at the very beginning. Verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. The Lord has assigned to him. Here, Paul is speaking to the Corinthians circumstances. And in doing so, he sheds some important light on circumstances uh, understood generally. what we see right off the bat, first in verse 17, Paul tells the Corinthians that their circumstances, they are assigned. They're assigned by God. Uh, In other words, they're appointed by God. They're distributed by God. They're assigned by God like an employer assigns a station to an employee. They're appointed by God like a judge is appointed to a judgeship. They're distributed by God like like a plot of land is distributed. It's careful, it's methodical. The dimensions and the boundary lines uh, of circumstances are controlled by God. And so they they go this deep and they go this wide and they go this long. Circumstances aren't random, they're not chaos. In other words, what we're seeing here is that God has sovereignly called the Corinthians to their circumstances. And this, this morning is what we're going to, call, going to call the call of vocation, the call of vocation. God has sovereignly called the Corinthians to their vocation in life, their circumstances in life, their jobs, their, their family situations, their social situations. God has ordained these things. God has caused these things to be. Now, before we go any further, I know some of you might be picking up here uh, this idea, and you might agree, you might see it right here in the passage, but that's hard for you. You, you don't like your circumstances in your life, your assignment, your distribution of circumstances. Well, hang tight. <laughs> hang tight, we're gonna, we're gonna get to that. But for now, though, what we wanna see is that God has distributed a call of vocation to these Corinthians, ordered by God. So that's the first thing we see about circumstances. Second, though, Paul doesn't just tell the Corinthians that God called them to these circumstances. He also tells them how they are to relate to these circumstances. the big question is, are are they to buck them? Are they to run from them, are they to hate them, despise from them, overcome them, rising up above them? No, incredibly, Paul's clear command to the Corinthians is that they are to be content within these circumstances of their lives. They're to be content with their call of vocation. They are to live this life that they have been called to. This idea is repeated two more times. Verse 20, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Verse 24, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. So this is plainly said. We're, we're not doing gymnastics to derive this. No, this is just plainly in the passage. One author summarized this commandment saying, Paul is calling the Corinthians to be Christians where they are. And another pastor said, this passage is saying, is Paul saying, bloom where you are planted. Be content in your calling. Now we could stop here, and this would be a radical enough teaching. Be content in your circumstances. Whatever your circumstances are, Those are God's sovereign assignments in your life. And so remain in them. That's a lot. But Paul is building a case. He's building a point. And he wants to make sure that the Corinthians and us get that point. So he's going to use two social circumstances that ensure his sharp edge is not dulled. And so we have verse 18. Was anyone at the time of his call circumcised let him not remove the marks of circumcision was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised let him not seek circumcision why verse 19 for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision remain where you are in other words be content now this this statement might be incredibly foreign to us, but it is hard to overstate the importance of what Paul just said. For the Jewish people, for God's chosen people, for those people who were brought out of slavery in Egypt, who who God was with in the wilderness, who God brought into the promised land, who God gave the judges and the kings to, who he made covenants with, God has given an outward sign that, that is the marking that shows the world who they are, and that is circumcision. The command to be circumcised for the Jewish people was a central command. It was a vitally important command in the regular living out of life amongst the people of God. It's no small thing. Not only that, but it was the marker that showed the Jewish people set apart from the Gentile people. And so it marked out who the religious outsiders were and who the religious insiders were. And Paul comes along and and he says, means nothing. Means nothing. Doesn't count for anything. It's not ultimately important. And Paul keeps going. Verse 21. Were you a bondservant? Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. So Paul doesn't just address the mark of religious outsiders and religious insiders. Now he addresses the mark of social outsiders and social insiders. Be clear here. When Paul refers to bond servants, he is talking about slaves. He's talking about people who are property. In Roman society, slaves or bond servants would have certainly had more rights and more opportunities for freedom than the sort of slaves and slavery that we tend to think about associated with the transatlantic trade, uh, uh, slave trade. Nevertheless, this is not something that anyone would ever want to be their assignment, their call of vocation from the Lord. We have enough ancient literature that testifies to the, to the nature of slavery in this time. And it was bad. People who could, could possess real skill and talent, gifting, and, and they, could, they could be given influence within a particular household. Nevertheless, they were owned. And nevertheless, an owner could do terrible things with no, re, uh, no recourse, no consequences. It, it was a bad place in life. And Paul comes along and he says, if you find yourself to be in this situation, this bottom rung of the ladder in society sort of situation, do not be concerned about it. If you're circumcised, that's fine. Stay circumcised. If you're not circumcised, don't worry about it. Don't be circumcised. If you're a slave, don't be concerned about it. What in the world is going on here? How can Paul talk about these sets of circumstances in the way that he is? How can Paul call these Christians in the midst of these assignments to contentment? In these things, Christians, bloom where you are planted. That's a hard, that's a hard word. And it almost seems reckless. And here's where we have to remember the context. Context is king in this passage. Paul is addressing a particular concern amongst the Corinthians. What makes a person truly spiritual? What makes a person a good Christian? What is ultimately important? Is it an outward religious sign? Is it rejecting that sign? Is it belonging to the right group of people? Does it mean having lots of social capital or does it mean having zero social capital? Paul comes along and he says, none of that matters. Your calling, your assignment, your circumstances, they say nothing about how you relate to God. I trusted Christ when I was in the sixth grade incredibly, I was baptized 22 years ago yesterday. Um, So I trusted Christ when I was in the sixth grade, but I didn't really plug into the church until I was 16. And I plugged into an amazing church, a church that loved me, uh, a church that was so kind to me, and a church through which God demonstrated his kindness to me in so many ways uh, that I don't have time to even remotely share them but God was good in planting me in this church. Nevertheless, a couple times a year, I would have a terribly difficult time within this church. And that's because there would always be a Sunday or two a year where the church would set apart about 15 minutes for prayer. And the way they would do this is they would have all of the families of the church gathered together as a family unit and then pray together. Now, this was a problem for me because I came from a broken family. My parents were divorced. My parents didn't come to church with me. And so I was there at church on Sundays all alone every week by myself. And I was literally the only one. And so uh, the directions would be given out prayer prompts given to these families, a good thing, a thing that we would want to have happen. Uh, we'd pray about all number of things, church life, community life, uh, theological things, whatever it may be. And these families would gather together. They'd get up from their pews and they'd go and they'd find the, the different members of their family they'd sit down somewhere in the church and they'd start to pray. Everybody except for me. So I would sit there by myself, the only one by themselves, and I would stare at my feet, try to pray, but usually I would just feel really dumb. And so as a 16, 17, 18-year-old young man, this experience, every time, it would tempt me. And it would tempt me to believe that my family situation and how I looked on those Sunday mornings disqualified me from being a truly spiritual person, from being a, a good Christian, one who had a right standing before God it tempted me to think that my home life made me an outsider made me not belong to this people of God made me retreat inside evaluate and ultimately being up being tempted to say if only this was different, if only I could overcome this obstacle, then I could get to being right with God or serving God. I was tempted to make my circumstances be the most important thing about me. Well, this is the idea I believe behind 1 Corinthians 7, 17 through 24. Paul isn't merely commanding contentment for contentment's sake. No, he's saying that your circumstances say nothing about how you about about how you stand before a holy God. We need to get this, and we need to get this because many of us are restless. We may not be restless in the same way as the Corinthians. We may not wonder what our circumcision or lack of circumcision means for how we relate to God. We may not wonder if our being slaves disqualifies us from a right relationship or a robust relationship with God, but we are similarly restless. We're restless before a holy God, and we wonder what our circumstances say about our relationship with God or how God feels about us. And so some of us, we're like the restless Gentile, We're spiritual outsiders and we think that if we could only become more religious or more like the insiders, then we could be truly spiritual. If only we worked at at an explicitly Christian organization. If only we had a more significant role within the church if only we were on staff at a church, if only we were associated more intimately with Biola, these sorts of things would make us insiders and would make it so that we could be acceptable and pleasing and useful to God. Maybe some of us are like restless Jews and we recoil at our pedigree, and we think that if we could only forsake our name and our insider's churchy status, then we can get to it, and then we can truly get to pleasing God and serving God. Some of us are like restless slaves. We wonder if our social status leaves us abandoned by God, if it leaves us unspiritual, We wonder about our broken homes. We wonder about being a single parent. We wonder uh, about having divorced parents. Do these things leave us unable to please and serve God? We wonder if our hard marriages disqualify us. If the fact that we're not perfect parents, so we have a hard time loving our children sometimes, if this disqualifies us. We wonder if our singleness disqualifies us. We wonder if, our, if uh, uh, our desires disqualify us. What do these outward things say about how we relate to God? Does he love us? Does he hate us? Our circumstances can leave us restless, angsty, in turmoil as you think. What is the perfect Christian? What circumstances come to your mind? What circumstances, what assignments do these people possess? If you were to ask the question, if only blank would change, then I could serve God, then I could be right with God, what comes to mind? Well, for some of us, a lot comes to mind. These things, they condemn us, they convict us, they remind us that that we, Wish things were differently. And to this, to all of this, Paul comes along and he says that these circumstances, these circumstances, they are assignments. They are God's sovereign call on your life. These callings are not the most important thing in your life, therefore remain in them. Therefore, be content within your circumstances. And this raises a question, an important question. If our circumstances, if our call of vocation is not the most important thing about us, then what is? Well, that is... uh, The answer to that is the second point that we want to consider from the word this morning. And it's also the fuel that enables us to be content within our circumstances. So again, first point this morning is that your call is not the most important thing about you. Second point is your call is the most important thing about you. So obviously, I'm trying to be tricky here, right? What we're seeing in this passage is two different calls. Two different calls. Again, on the one hand, we have a call or an assignment, an allotment, an appointment to our circumstances. We have the call of vocation. But there is another sort of call that this passage is even more concerned with, primarily concerned with, a call that is of chief importance, And it's also in verse 17, if we have eyes to see. Verse 17, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. And to which God has called him. Notice that last phrase. I think that is a confusing translation. It's a confusing translation. It gives the impression that the sort of call that verse 17 is entirely and primarily concerned with is a call of vocation, a call to circumstances, assignments, that sort of thing. But the grammar, the context, all sorts of clues are present in this passage that make it abundantly clear that the sort of call here is not a call of vocation, but the call of redemption. I like the way that the CSB puts it. It says, uh, live the life that God has assigned, uh, uh, let every man live the life that God has assigned him when God called him. When God called him. We're talking about a call of redemption. We're talking about an objective point in a Christian's life where God transferred us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. We're seeing an objective point where a person goes from being condemned and unclean before a holy and just God to being justified and having peace with God through Christ the Son. We're talking about an objective point where a person goes from being a slave, being sold in the slave market to being purchased, redeemed and adopted into the loving family of God so that we now are children and we can cry Abba, Father. That's the sort of call that this passage is concerned with. And so we need to see the difference here. There's a call of vocation and there's a call of redemption. This passage is concerned with that call of redemption. And so what this verse is saying is is that we are to remain content within our circumstances because when God saved us, he saved us within a particular set of circumstances. God didn't save us in a vacuum. We were actually living in a fallen world, experiencing a fallen world. And so when God plucked us out of our sin and our shame and our misery, he plucked us out from within a set of circumstances, from real life. And so we have verses like verse 18, was anyone at the time of their call already circumcised? Here call means call to redemption. Verse 20, each should remain in the condition in which he was called. Again, this is a reference to the objective call to redemption. In these verses, Paul refers to God calling us to redemption seven times. That's repetition. That is telling us something about the main point of this passage, the thing that we should be primarily concerned with. What is the most important thing about us? Is it our circumstances? Is it what we experience at home or at work or the things that crush us, that that are surrounding us? No, the most important thing about us is not our call of vocation, but our call to redemption. This is why in verse 19, Paul can say that circumcision counts for nothing. Again, that's a crazy statement. If we were in the first century, that would, we would just, nope, done done listening to you. OK, I don't have ears to hear because of the outlandish nature of what you just said, and yet Paul can say something like this. Why? Well, verse 19 tells us, "What counts for something? Or uh, yeah, what counts for something? If circumcision counts for nothing, keeping the commandments of God. Keeping the commandments of God. That's what counts. That's what matters. This is Paul's way of saying that your call of vocation isn't what is eternally significant. What is eternally significant is your engaging this call of vocation and seeking to honor God and live for him in the midst of it. Good works flowing from salvation matter to God. Not your station in life. Humbly accepting and engaging God's appointment in a way where you shine the light of Christ matters. Not so much the assignments themselves. We won't get to heaven and say, well, you know, I was a a pastor. Or I was a slave. Or I was a seminary president. Or I was this or I was that as if those were badges of honor. No, no. We'll get to glory, and we'll say, you know, I was such and such, but I served God in the midst of that assignment. You know, I was a seminary president, but I was faithful to the Lord's assignment in my life. I was a slave, and as hard as that was, I endured and I, I, I sought to glorify God in the midst of that distribution in my life. This whole idea of the call of redemption being the most important thing in our life is what we also see in verse 22 and 23. Paul says that the one who is a slave when called is free in Christ. And the free ones called in Christ are slaves to Christ. And then he goes on to say that these slaves were bought with a price and should not become bondservants of men. What we're seeing in these verses is that... Through the gospel, through the gospel, the good news that God saved sinners in Christ, through the gospel, God has done something at an eternal, cosmic, true level that is so significant that he has changed everything. He has turned the world upside down. He has given us a new way of thinking, a new way of living, a new economy. Formerly a slave was owned, property. Formerly, a free person was free, not property, but through the call of Christ to redemption, God has turned social status on its head and now the slave has been redeemed, paid for, and the free man is brought low. And as Paul is stressing, what is truly important, what's truly important is that we be found in Christ, that our identity be rooted in, not in the circumstances of this life, but in Christ. That we have our sins dealt with, not by what we experience on a day-to-day basis, but in Christ, knowing Jesus and knowing his life, knowing the power of his resurrection. What's not chiefly important is the meaning or the status of our station in life. So please hear me. If we're understanding this passage in its context. If we're understanding it in, uh, as being in 1 Corinthians 7, being situated in, in an actual argument being built, then we have to recognize that Paul is not saying that our circumstances are ultimately unimportant. Of course, Paul isn't saying that our children are unimportant or that our, our wives are unimportant or that our husbands are unimportant or that our jobs are unimportant or our plight is unimportant or that God uh, is unconcerned with the suffering we experience because of our circumstances. We know, and, and God's word testifies to this over and over and over again, that regardless of our circumstances, whether good, whether bad, God sees us. He sees us in the midst of our assignment. He sees us in our call of vocation. God isn't blind to what we experience. And so if we're suffering, we can know with, with a sureness that God sympathizes with us. Why? Because God the Son has condescended And he has walked as we have walked. He suffered as we have suffered. He has gone beyond us in experiencing human experiences so that he can truly understand what we feel and experience today. God knows what you are experiencing at an intimate level. He gets it. He's with you. He sees you. And so this passage is not saying, oh, deal with it. This passage is not saying, hey, be content, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and just smile more even though you're experiencing hard things. That's not what we're dealing with in this passage. No. Paul is is saying something bigger and more true. He's saying, what do circumstances ultimately say about you? What are they ultimately and truly communicating maybe a better way to say it is, what are they not communicating? So that's what we're dealing with here. This passage is also not trying to bind people to their circumstances with a hard and fast rule that makes it so their person can never change their circumstances without displeasing God. This is explicit in this passage. Paul, as he's talking to these bondservants, to these slaves, he on one hand says, don't worry about your status, stay where you are. But the very next line is, but if you have an opportunity to be free, then avail yourself of that opportunity. And and so it almost seems like he's saying something contradictory here. Paul, again, is trying to help us to think rightly about circumstances. Our circumstances aren't the most important things about us, they can be important, very important, but they're not the most important thing. And so if we're wanting to to flee our circumstances so that we can be right before God, well, Paul's come along and saying that's not the way it works. But if an opportunity avails itself and we have a desire to change our circumstances, then absolutely take it. This passage is not giving us license to sin against others by forcing them to stay in a station in life that they do not desire to be in. That would be manipulative. That would be manipulation. And that is not what Paul is trying to do. No. What is most important in your life. Not your call of vocation, but that you be found to be in Christ. And Grace, we must get this. We must get this. If we ever want to be content in this life, then we have to begin with recognizing what is chiefly important. One pastor wisely said that we are discontent because we ask our vocation to provide what only our redemption can. He goes on to say, contentment doesn't derive from your vocation, but from your redemption. Not from your life's work, but from your life's Lord. Not from what you do for God, but rather in what God has done for you, or in you and for you in Jesus Christ. And so uh, that is where contentment is found. Our vocations, they can't bear the weight of our restless hearts, but Jesus can. Our vocations will never root our identity in something eternal, but our redemption roots our identity in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so in 1 Corinthians 7, God is calling us to contentment. Not contentment in and of itself, again, not just smiling in the midst of really hard circumstances. No, but contentment born out of a new identity in Christ Jesus where everything has changed. Contentment meaning that we be Christians where we are. Contentment meaning that we bloom where we are planted, trusting that we don't need a new or a better set of circumstances to bloom or to be good Christians. We are the redeemed. And so, on one hand, our call is most certainly not the most important thing about us. But on the other hand, if we understand our calling rightly, as unpacked in 1 Corinthians 7, then we recognize that our call is the most important thing about us, our call to redemption in Christ Jesus. Three things, three ways that I think that we ought to apply this word this morning. Three things uh, that I think uh, we ought to leave considering in light of these two calls and the importance that they have in our lives. The first is, is simple, love one another. Love one another. In light of all of this, we must love one another. This passage instructs us in how we treat Christians. If our circumstances aren't the most important thing about us, then let us be Careful not to treat others as if their circumstances are the most important thing about them. The poor believer, the rich believer, the talented believer, the untalented believer, the single and married believer, the down and out believer, the struggling believer, the conquering believer, their circumstances, what they bring to the table, is ultimately unimportant. Today we are gathered together as the church. We're the church gathered and we are gathered together not with a common set of circumstances but by a common faith in a common Lord Jesus Christ. We gather united in the fact that we come empty handed supplying nothing to our salvation but Jesus supplies everything and so we come to him humbly and in faith. And so our circumstances become unimportant. Jesus is our worth. Jesus is our treasure. And so let us be diligent to not undermine the beautiful and powerful gospel by treating others as if their worth and their justification before God is actually found in their set of circumstances. Grace, we have to know that there are people who struggle to enter in these doors every week. They struggle, they feel like they are on the outside for for millions of different reasons. But walking in here is not an easy thing. And, And far be it from us that we would ever let them be the one who's sitting there by themselves praying while we gather together, demonstrating to them that they truly are on the outside. Now let us love one another. Let us affirm that our call to redemption is what matters and so let's grab them by their shoulder and bring them in as best as we can. May the Lord give us eyes to see. Second, engage your circumstances. Engage your circumstances. This passage says circumstances aren't the most important thing about us, but this passage also gives our circumstances credibility. The church's various creeds these, these things that have been compiled that have helped the church for years and years and years understand what the nature of the faith is and how we live out the faith, these creeds historically have said that Christians can glorify God in any non-sinful vocation. And so, since you don't need a new life stage or a new set of circumstances to glorify God, seek to glorify God. Your call of vocation might change tomorrow. It is not set. You can have a different call placed upon your life tomorrow. It can change like that. But for today, your call is where you are. And so in the midst of that, in your cubicle, in your office, at your home, in your struggles, in your marriage, uh, as you're sick, as you're dying, in these things, Seek to glorify God. These are legitimate venues to worship God. It reminds me of one of my all-time favorite quotes from a guy named Abraham Kuyper. And he says, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign, does not cry, mine. Jesus says that these circumstances that we collectively experience day by day, week by week, The circumstances represented in this room, they are his. They belong to him. And so we can legitimately glorify God as the redeemed in the midst of them. Again, some of our circumstances are terribly difficult. But God says that we can, strengthened by the spirit, knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection, endure those with faithfulness, bringing glory to Jesus. And so let us lean in Let us engage, let us bloom where we are planted. Again, the Lord help us. Finally, rest in Christ. Another one of my all-time favorite quotes is from Augustine, Bishop of Hippo, leader of the early church. One of the greatest sentences ever written. Because you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in thee. Grace, our hearts are restless. Our hearts are restless. They will always be restless until they find the rest in Christ. In this passage, it tells us what is chiefly important. What is chiefly important is that we know Jesus, that we enjoy Jesus, and this is what the passage is calling us to. This is what is of chief importance, and because of this, we can pursue the different, uh, different assignments in our life. We can pursue them with freedom, Uh, We can pursue them in the midst of our own personal slavery. And so yes, we as Christians, we can seek change for our circumstances, but let's not let our circumstances be the defining thing about us, the most important thing about us. God tells us what is most important. And that, that thing that is most important is finished in Christ, purchased for us in Christ. And so let's let our restless hearts drive us to seek the one who gives our hearts rest. Let's let our restless hearts drive us to abide in Christ. Seek him and he will be found. Draw near to him and he will draw near to us. He will give us rest. He won't fail. And so as your hearts are restless, in the midst of your circumstances, in the midst of living in this fallen world, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus, the one who will give you rest. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son Jesus and we thank you that he is the one who provides rest. Lord, that in Christ, we are the redeemed. Lord, I pray that that objective call to redemption for all of us who are in Christ Jesus today that would overwhelm us, and that would cause us to see our set of circumstances differently, Lord. And so whether they be wonderful, or whether they be terrible, or whether they completely change tomorrow, Lord, I pray that you would give us grace to endure them with faith, and that you would cause us to serve faithfully in the midst of them. Lord, you are good. Uh, Your assignments are good. Give us eyes to see. Help us, Lord. Uh, and Lord, I pray that, that uh, you would provide rest for us today and you would provide eternal rest uh, in that coming day. Uh, we look to it uh, with anticipation. We thank you for meeting with us today. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.